that out of you in a while. Shame on y'all. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to, the, of course, the book of Jude. Uh, we are, Lord willing, we will finish Jude next Sunday. So this week is our second to last week. Uh, I believe this is week 12 in the, this little short letter. And I hope that you have benefited from uh, our time in Jude as much as I have. It has been a great book, a great little letter that uh, like all of God's Word as we walk through them, you just, you know it's going to be good, right? You know that all of God's Word is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training uh, a person in righteousness, but you just didn't realize all, all that was in there, right? And so this morning, I believe we come to a, a rather unique part of Scripture. Uh, mercy is found all through the Bible. It is one of the, the rich uh, scarlet threads that runs through the Old and New Testament, talking about the mercy of the Lord. Uh, but how we show mercy to others, uh, this, is, uh, this speaks volumes to. And so this is where we find ourselves this morning. Um, let's kind of read where we are, then we'll just kind of back up, set it up, and move forward. Amen? So uh, we are in this uh, section. Um, uh, we'll just start with verse 17, as we'll see, kind of just reminds us of this whole uh, section that we're in in Jude. So starting in verse 17 of Jude, it says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles, of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit that we emphasized last week. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance again to come to your word and the riches that are found in it. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through your written word. Thank you for this treasure chest of objective divine truth. Help us this morning as we turn to it, Lord, to, um, to enjoy it, Lord, to treasure it, to hold it dear to our hearts. May you speak this morning, uh, not through any wit or wisdom, Lord, but through your spirit. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So this morning as we come to this section, uh, speaking primarily about mercy, uh, just a reminder of kind of this section that starts in verse 17 that we just read. There are three commands that Jude is giving to the church. And if you remember, verse 17 is really the first command word that we have in the whole uh, letter. And so he's turning his attention to speak to the church, to say, in light of this truth, in light of all that God is doing, in light of this, this context that you find yourself in, uh, again, just a, a, a further reminder back to the beginning of Jude, he wanted to write one thing, but the Lord led him to write another because those had crept into the church to do damage to the church. These that we're going to see again this morning. And so despite the damage that, that these false teachers and these apostates desire to do to the church and creeping in 
to wreak havoc in the church. Uh, it is Christ's church. It is the Lord's church. She is her bride and he will defend her. He will keep her, Jude says. And so uh, in the midst of this, he gives three commands. He first says, remember the word there in verse 17. And in remembering the word, he is calling, he is calling out their opponents. He is calling these opponent, op- opponents who do not speak as apostles, who do not have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them, who is not uniting the church. They're causing divisions. They're worldly. They're not spiritual. And so he says, remember the word. He then secondly says to keep in the love of God. And we, that's where we walked the past two or three weeks is to keep yourselves, it says in verse 21, uh, in the love of God. And how do you do that? By building your faith up, by praying in the Spirit, and by waiting on the return of Christ uh, because of His mercy. And so and then this morning we come to this third command is to show mercy to others. And so if you will, the first uh, the first section of this, uh, the first section of this section, if you will, the first part of this section is to look at the opponents of the church. The second is to look at the church themselves, and thirdly is to look at these who have fallen prey to these people, to these opponents, to these false teachers. And so, uh, it is just this this beautiful picture. Uh, of how God is, is, is training up His church, how God is speaking to His church, how God is keeping and preserving His church. And, um, and so last week we said we we're going to kind of transition there from verse 21. Uh, our text this morning starts in verse 22, but there is this, this beautiful connection between this whole flow of the passage where He says, Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He could have just said, wait on Jesus, right? Waiting on Jesus to return. He could have just said, wait uh, for the return of Christ, but he didn't. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we are a people who are waiting on the mercy of Jesus This is what we're waiting on. We're waiting on the mercy of Jesus. We don't wait as those who deserve Jesus. We don't wait as an entitled bride. We don't wait as an entitled church. We don't wait as, okay, Jesus is coming because we uh, we are His and we deserve His return and we deserve all that He's going to bring to the church. That is not how the bride of Christ waits for the return of Christ. We wait as those who, who have assurance in His mercy. Who have assurance in His mercy. And how do we have the assurance of the mercy of a living and holy God? How do we wait as those who have the assurance that a king is coming, not full of wrath for sinners, but mercy for His people? We have this assurance because of His Word. And where do we see this in His Word, you might ask? And I'm glad that you ask. Because there are... About four passages I'd like us to turn our attention to this morning. We don't have to turn here. We're going to turn to plenty of the Bible this morning, but uh, I'll just save your turning fingers uh, early on here. Romans 9, 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And that is a coin in the treasure chest of what we call Romans, specifically Romans 8 and 9. And so there is just so much depth there of, the, of the, the, just the vastness of God and His love towards His people. But we see just this reminder, who does God have mercy on? 
whoever he wants to have mercy on. No merit of ourselves, but he has mercy and compassion on whomever he wants because he is God. And as we're reminded, he sits in the heavens and does as he pleases. And who are we, O man, to say anything otherwise? Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Uh, Actually, let's just turn there. Go ahead and get your turning fingers warmed up. Uh, As per usual, we will be all through Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 1. We're going to go to Luke so that he might might turn us to Zechariah's prophecy here. And I just want us to read this. Luke 1, 67. This whole prophecy. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Obviously, Zechariah is looking to the coming of Christ, the Messiah, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Man, it's the tender mercy of God that he has for his people, not just his New Testament church, but for his people since the beginning. The promise he made with Abraham was because he is a merciful God. When you look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it reminds us, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of of the Spirit. And so why does God do what He he does? Why does He save His people for His own good purposes, for His own good pleasure? Because He is a merciful God. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's just go to Ephesians real quick. Let me go and give you my disclaimer on Ephesians because honestly, I know what y'all think every time we turn to Ephesians. And so I was doing some soul searching uh, as I was working through Ephesians. And it occurred to me why I love Ephesians so much. Because it is, if you remember, we're, we just celebrated our 10-year ten um, anniversary as, as, as North Hills. Uh, what was our first book that we went through? Kind of, James? Acts. We went thoroughly through two and a half chapters, and then we covered the next uh, 25 and a half in a week. And so, not how we do things nowadays. 
Uh, but the first full book that we went through was Ephesians. And this was 10 years ago. And God has used Ephesians so much in my own life, in my own heart, and, and, and shaping my own theology. Not my own theology, but theology of my heart in my mind through this book, Ephesians. And so I continue to go back to it. And it's just a well of just theological depth and truth and not just in, the, in chapters one and two, one and two and three, that we see just this rich theology and doctrine, but even four, five, and six that speaks to the practical way in which we live and live out our faith. And so it is just such a beautiful book. And so I will cease to make apologies for turning to Ephesians on a regular, weekly basis. Okay, that's my disclaimer. But Ephesians two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's not explaining all of these pagan people in the world apart from us. He's explaining us amongst these pagan people. All people who've ever have drawn breath, that is the description of us. We were dead in our trespasses. We were sons of disobedience. We deserve nothing but death, hell, and the grave. But Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in what? In mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If that doesn't excite you, you're not excitable. If that doesn't excite you to what God has done and why he has done it, then I would have to say you are not of the Lord's. I mean, that just speaks volumes to who we are. In what we deserve, but because of God's mercy, because He is rich and abundant and full of mercy, and because He loves us, He has sent Christ for us and He has made us alive together with Christ. And so before we can even look and talk about how we are to show mercy with others, we have to be reminded, we have to see how much God has shown us mercy. How we are objects, not of His wrath in Christ, but we are objects of His mercy. We are people who are shaped by mercy. We owe everything that we are and everything that we will be to the mercy of God. A quick definition that we've given multiple times in years past of grace and mercy Grace, simply put, is God giving us what we do not deserve. Or mercy, simply put, is God withholding from us what we do deserve. And so we deserve death, hell, and the grave, and damnation. He has given us richness. He is, as Jude reminds us, as we are waiting for uh, the return of Christ to eternal life, he says waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so this is what we have in Christ. So therefore, we are people, because we know that we are objects of His mercy, we should be a people who are eager to show mercy. So to quote John MacArthur on the subject, he says it well, it says, Showing mercy does not mean ignoring the seriousness of false teaching or 
commending the weak for their indecision, as we'll see in just a moment. But it does mean exhorting such people with the truth in the meekness and patience, being diligent to present the gospel to them before they are permanently caught in heresy. And so we are reminded of the heresy these false teachers bring, but we are reminded of the gospel. And this is the gospel is that we deserve death, hell, and damnation, but we receive eternal life in Christ. And so... We are people who should be eager to show the mercy of God. Now, as we see here in our text, and have mercy, it says, on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so, who now is Jude referring to? Who is he speaking to? Who, uh, who, is, he, who is he talking about here? Who are these others? And there is, this is one of those passages that we could get into weeds, and if this were a, a, a class, we could really kind of dive into some of the, uh, the, the language of this text. And There's a lot of back and forth, but we'll keep it simple this morning, and we'll, we'll follow the, uh, the ESV here. Most of our translations are in line with, with the language that's used here. But he is speaking to three groups, or to three different groups of people. He's speaking, one, to those who have been listening to and have been informed by these people. So we got the other people and these people. So these people have been informed by the other people. These who have been listening to and informed by these false teachers. Secondly, those who are following these people and who have been influenced by their teaching. So those who have been informed by their teaching, they know what's going on, they, 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 they hear the message, and there's some doubt, as we'll see, and those who have been influenced by it. And thirdly, those who have been infiltrated by the false doctrine of these people that we'll see there at the end. And so these are the three groups that he's talking about. The first one, and it, what Jude says we are to do with this first group is to have mercy. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. So the first point this morning is we are to show mercy to those informed by false doctrine. We are to show mercy to those who are informed by false doctrine. Now let's get ready to turn some pages. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, first few verses. Paul he also was concerned that some of the church, specifically in Corinth here, that they could and would and were being deceived. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's two verses there, verse 3. But I am afraid, the apostle says, that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And so he has a concern for people who are genuine with their love for Christ and they're genuine with their devotion of Christ. But he says, you're going to start listening to people who are preaching a different Jesus. They say Jesus and use Jesus' name and they open the same Bible. But Paul says, that's not the Jesus that I'm preaching. That's not the Jesus that you know. 
And so his concern is they would be informed by false doctrine. They would accept this false doctrine. They would start to listen to it. It would start to come into their ears. And they would hear these, these sermons or they would read these letters. In our case today, they would hear these podcasts or they would see these uh, seemingly innocuous quotes but are not informed by the Jesus that we know. So he was concerned that some in the church could and would and were being deceived. But then go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. A few verses there through 26. Paul again, talking to Timothy, says, Flee your youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with the, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Kind of like he was saying earlier, those who, who truly look to the Lord have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So again, we get this picture as Paul is teaching Timothy to shepherd the people of God. He said, be patient with them. Don't argue with them, but bear with them. Shepherd them well but lead them to the knowledge of truth. So even these that Timothy were dealing with were those they were being formed and were hearing of false doctrine. And Paul commands Timothy here to correct these with doubts. And then let's look at another one, James chapter 1, right after Hebrews, which you should know well. James chapter 1. We see that Paul was concerned that some in his church could and would and were being deceived. Paul is uh, commanding Timothy to correct those who are having these doubts that are being informed by false teaching. And then James reminds us that doubt is not good. James 1, verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. But that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And we know as believers, we know we look at our own life, and we know there are moments of doubt in our life, and we, we think and we question, but ultimately, if the Spirit of God is inside of us, it leads us to all truth. And so what he's speaking to here is a, kind of the same thing that Jude is addressing as well, that these people, they are, their th- doubt is being cast in their mind and heart that is starting to take seed because they are listening to and they are being informed by false doctrine. Ephesians. Just put a bookmark in that. Can you do that? You got like a permanent bookmark? Chad, can you make us some like bookmarks for the whole church? We just put in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. I think that's the wrong chapter. Is it 4 or 14? There we go. Ephesians 4. I knew that didn't sound right. Ephesians 4. Just to kind of recap, not to know where our time is, is limited, so this 
basically saying that God has given the church those who are gifted in teaching and uh, it says apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds. Verse 12 there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so he's again making it clear God has has equipped the church and given the church. And as James said earlier, it's important to the elders of the church and those who lead and teach and pray for the people of God and teach the word of God. That's not something to be taken lightly. So he says there, because there will be these doubts, there will be these false teachers who, uh, who inform a false doctrine. So it's important to have Good biblical teaching in our life and be committed to biblical teaching that points to Christ. And so Paul was concerned that those would come in the church and he commanded Timothy to correct those. And James reminds us it's not good to doubt. And we see that God has given us these teachers and shepherds that we won't be carried away by every doubt and doctrine. So whenever we encounter believers who are being informed By false doctrine, let us lovingly show them mercy. Because we see that this is not just something that's today. It's something that happened since the beginning of the church. Since the beginning, even in Israel's history. So let us be patient and slow and merciful for those who doubt. Because God has been merciful to us. And then Jude recognizes a second group. He recognizes not just those who are informed by false doctrine. He recognizes those who have been influenced by false doctrine. And he says we are to save those influenced by false doctrine. Specifically, he says, and save others by snatching them out of the fire. Snatching them out of the fire. Now, before we go on and kind of unpack that, it's important to note that we cannot save anyone from the fire. We cannot save a single person. Now, there are those who live their lives in such a way they think the salvation of men rests on them. And that is a heavy burden to carry. But it is God who saves. It is Christ who is our Redeemer and our Rescuer. So we, that no one's soul depends on us. It is God who saves. And that is a foundational truth that we must understand and rest in. But God has chosen to use men and women and teenagers and kids and people of, of all sorts and types and ages in the kingdom of God to point people to the redeeming salvation of Christ. He uses his people to proclaim the gospel and lead others to salvation. Go back to James. It's still right after Hebrews. James chapter 5. The end there. James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
So we know, it's a foundational truth, we know Jesus saves, we know Jesus sustains, and we know Jesus sanctifies, we know Jesus does all the real work. We know that, and we trust that. But we also see in Scripture that we have a command and a mandate. God is calling us to go after our brothers and sisters who are wandering, who are wayward, and to bring them back, to point them to Christ. As Jude says, to go after them and snatch them from the fire. To save others. Not to be complacent. Not to be okay with. And my brothers and sisters are are falling into false doctrine. They've been informed of false doctrine. Now they're being influenced by false doctrine. I hope they figure it out. I hope they come across a better podcast. I hope they end up in a better church. I hope someone else shows up. God has called us to be that someone else. People go from merely being informed of false doctrine to being influenced by it. It shapes how they think. It shapes how they see God. It shapes who they believe Christ to be. How they see themselves. They go merely from being informed by false doctrine to being influenced by it. In our world today, you can even see it as if someone goes from just, you know, maybe posting some quotes or something from some false teachers or things that we know not to be true or uh, maybe some uh, encountering some teachings to really just starting to be influenced, to reading about it, to, to listening, to searching after these things. And they are being slowly going away from Christ. And so God's Word tells us to save these, to have mercy on them, to save others by snatching them out of the fire. As believers, we are called to be engaged, to go after them. To engage in conversations about truth. Call out error where error is clear. Caution them that the path that they are on is not a path that leads to life, but a path that leads to death. There is no secret knowledge to be found outside of God's Word. Point them to truth. Truth reveals error. And as we turn to God's Word, as we read God's Word, as we become students of God's Word, as we come to know the truth and believe the truth and hold the truth, and we know the truth is not merely a concept, the truth is a person, truth is Christ. For He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we point them to Christ, truth reveals error. Christ reveals error. The Spirit leads to all truth. And so let's go after them. Let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the sake of the gospel, let us desire to save others by snatching them out of the fire. And then thirdly, the group that we see here, not only are we to show mercy to those who who are informed by false doctrine, not only are we to save those who are influenced by false doctrine, thirdly, we are to cautiously show mercy to those infiltrated by false doctrine. These are the people who have gone from merely being informed and influenced by false teaching to being infiltrated by it. It is their very life. It is the church they are connected to. It is the teaching they are are avidly following. It is them rejecting the truth of God's Word. It is them rejecting what we know to be true of the Lord and true of Christ. 
But yet someone has led them astray. And it went from simply hearing about it, then to, to kind of wrestling with it, to now they are fully immersed in this false teaching. Go with me to Galatians. Go to Ephesians and take a left. Galatians chapter 3. Paul is calling out these in the church at Galatia. And if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, it is all about these who are being infiltrated by false teaching and false teachers. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that's some strong language right there, right? It's not like, hey, who have you been listening to? I've I, I kind of been, you know, been hanging around the church for you a little bit. I mean, hang around the coffee pot. And you're saying some things that aren't really in line with the Lord. But he says, who has bewitched you? Who has infiltrated your minds and hearts? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the kind of the core matter of Galatians is is the law and this returning to the law. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And so Paul was just hands-on dealing with this because he knew the church had been infiltrated. He knew that those had come into the church and now that people were just giving their lives, their thoughts, their, their doctrine was shaped by these false teachers, by these people that we see in Jude. So as you read the New Testament, as you read these letters, they're everywhere. And they're still here today in the 21st century. And honestly, we see more of them today because the platforms that they're allowed to have. And so we must be careful. We must guard our own hearts and our own minds and our own understanding of Scripture and hold to the truth of God's Word. But as those in our life, as there are others who are not just informed and not just influenced, but they're infiltrated by false doctrine. He says, show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear. To be cautious. Be careful as you engage these. To be careful as you show them mercy. To be careful as you point them to the true gospel because they're not just influenced anymore. They have been infiltrated. They have fully immersed in what they believe. They are redefining Scripture. And they can probably go toe-to-toe with you in what they believe and how they believe and how they have twisted Scripture to align with their beliefs. We are to be careful how we are to engage these as we might be stained, it says, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We won't read all of this, but just to show you where it's at and the the picture that he is pointing to his Jewish audience, go to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13. 
But he is pointing to Leviticus 13, specifically in verse 47. You can read the context all around it, but it's about leprosy and and what the priests are to do with someone who has leprosy. And we'll just start there in verse 45 to pick up a couple of verses, but you can read the whole chapter to get this full context. The leprous person, the leper who has the disease, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, and he is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And when there is a case of leprous disease and a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment and warp or wolf of linen or wool or skin or anything else made of skin. He goes on to describe what they are to do with the person, with these garments, because they have been stained. They have been saturated by this disease that's in the skin. And there's actually some pretty, uh, some pretty gross language attached to uh, Leviticus uh, Uh, Leviticus chapter 13, and specifically even here in Jude, but let's just suffice it to say, when the garment is stained, when it stinks, when it is is filthy, be careful, because that is equivalent to what these who have been led astray, these who have been infiltrated by false doctrine, they are stained. And so as you engage them, as you show them the love of Christ, as you point out their error, as you show mercy to them as one who has been shown mercy, be careful that you too did not become stained. The only way that we can engage these with the true gospel is by being faithfully and prayerfully equipped and not to go into this not ready. I like what one pastor says as he kind of wraps up these, these thoughts, as Jude wraps up these thoughts and he is pointing to how we show mercy. He says the text constructs a nice balance between showing love and mercy and maintaining standards of purity and righteousness. Showing love for the sinner does not exclude an intense hatred for the corruption brought about by sin. Furthermore, believers need to beware of getting too entangled with some who sin, lest the sinner influence them rather than vice versa. It is a sad reality that there are those who seemingly desire to follow the Lord, but in reality, they have been misled by false teachers. Jude has not minced any words in his short letter here. He has, he has resigned as the Lord has done these false teachers to judgment and it is waiting on them in the end days and here at the end he is he is calling believers to show mercy to these who have been misled and there is no shortage of people in our lives there is no shortage of people that we encounter on a regular basis who have been misled they have either been merely informed by false doctrine Maybe they are being influenced by false doctrine. And heaven forbid, they have been infiltrated by this false doctrine. And so let us pray for those and let us show them mercy as we have been shown mercy. The next week, Jude will conclude his letter with one of the more beautiful doxologies that we have in the New Testament. Let us pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this call for us to be merciful 
to those around us who are being led astray. Lord, if there's anyone here in this room or who's listening online who have somewhere in that, in that range of an influence, Lord, by, by this false teaching, may they look to the truth who is Christ. Thank you that you have revealed your truth to us. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And as we continue this morning, as we sing, Lord, as we come to the communion table, as we have an opportunity to give, and as we leave this place, Lord, may we be so mindful of the mercy that you've shown us. May we be quick to show mercy to those around us. May you use us, even this week, in someone's life to point them to truth to point them to Christ in his heavenly and beautiful name we do pray amen